You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I hope you all are well. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of attending the Female Athlete Conference in Boston, Massachusetts, and I got to meet a bunch of you, and that was really special, and thank you to everyone who came up and said hi. That was that was a real treat, and you know, it was just a really great experience overall. The, the conference was spearheaded by past guest and absolute phenom, Dr. Kate Ackerman, who put together a really tremendous program. Uh, Dr. Stacey Sims was there and presenting, as well as other past and upcoming guests like Abby Smith-Ryan and Samantha Moore. And I got to hang out and dance on a boat with other past guests, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo. And aside from just being a really, really good time, it was also really, really inspiring to be surrounded by so many brilliant, accomplished, confident women presenting scientific findings and offering insights in all things women's sport and performance. We'll be creating content around what we saw and learned there, but it left me feeling really hopeful about the future for sure. All right, before I get to this week's guest, who I was super stoked to speak with, I just want to make one clarification regarding a show we did a few weeks back with Tanya Oxendine from the Wounded Warriors Project. In the intro to that show, I included some stats on sexual assault among women warriors in the Wounded Warriors Project. And I got a note from a longtime listener and retired Army Reserve officer who was concerned that listeners might misunderstand and believe that those statistics were from the military as a whole and that it might leave people with the impression that the military is a bad and dangerous place for women. So I wanted to just make clear that those stats were among women seeking care through the Wounded Warriors Project and not from the population of all women currently serving or veterans. And I really appreciate the listener who reached out with her concerns. I always want to be uh, correct and accurate. So thank you for that. Okay. So this week, I had a brilliant conversation with Dr. Nikki Kay, author of Hormones, Health, and Human Potential, a guide to understanding your hormones to optimize your health and performance, which, well, that's why we're here. Nikki is an honorary clinical lecturer in medicine at University College London, and she lectures and researches in the areas of endocrinology with many publications in this field. Her endocrine work is mainly in exercisers, dancers, and athletes, and she's got a focus on relative energy deficiency in sport, reds, and athletes navigating perimenopause and menopause. Again, our people. And man, I just loved, loved this conversation because Nikki has such a holistic view of hormones. All are hormones, not only estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, but also human growth hormone and vitamin D and other hormones that are instrumental in our health and performance. And though we certainly talk a lot about hormone therapy and the best types for active women in this show, this conversation goes well beyond menopausal hormone therapy and addresses all the ways that you can optimize your hormonal health. And I just really loved it. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay. Before we get to it, as always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Feisty Menopause. 
Please sign up for my free weekly newsletter and blog at feistymenopause.com. You can learn much more about all of this and take a deep dive with some of our guests and other experts at our Level Up membership, which you can also find at, you know it, feistymenopause.com. And thank you, as always, for the continued great reviews and five-star ratings. It's been awesome, and it really does help the show. All right. Super quick thanks to Bonafide for their support from pretty much the beginning. Today's show is largely about hormones, and we address the fact in the show that not everybody wants to or can use hormones. And Bonafide has the best non-hormonal product suite out there for relief from hot flashes and low sexual response and vaginal dryness and skin and hair needs and pretty much anything you could be looking for. So thank you, Bonafide. We very much appreciate you. Okay. Enough of me. Let's have a few words about those awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. All right. Well, hello, Nikki. I am uh, I'm really excited for our conversation today because 
Hormones are a big deal. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. No, they are indeed a big deal and my passion and my interest. So I'm always happy to talk about them. <laughs> Tell us a bit before we start. You have an interesting background. I, a lot of I watched a lot of your videos and, you know, dug in a bit. And a lot of it is, is oriented towards dance. So I'm guessing that, you know, you have a, I saw a picture of your mom, you know, like you were a dancer in your past. Um, just talk a bit about your athletic journey as well. Well, part of the motivation for studying medicine in the very first place was because I was very keen on sport. Uh, you know, I was a competitive swimmer, tennis player, but you're right, my passion was always been and still is uh, dancing. I still do four ballet classes a week. Anyway, so um, therefore, from almost a personal point of view, I was fascinated, of course, by how the human body works, but I was just wondering well, how, how does it work in terms of our athletic performance? We do exercise, we do training, I go to my ballet class. Of course, we all know you do this because you want to get fitter, right? But exactly how does that happen? What's the mechanism? And that was the, some of my starting question, and I went through medical studies, etc. And then I realized that the answer I was looking for lay in hormones. So that's the area I focused on. And that now, having gained all that experience, experience. Uh, yeah, I'm quite old now. So <laughs> working in medicine for 30 years, you know, all that experience, clinical experience, research experience um, means now I kind of have my dream job, because now I can go back and, and answer that question, not only for myself, but help others achieve that to understand how to harness your hormones to the best of your ability. So you can reach your full potential, hence the title of my book, Hormones Have <laughs> Potential, because that is literally the sequence of events. Your hormones make you healthy or and interact with your health, and that interacts with you reaching your full potential. So that's my background, uh, you know, just started off almost as a personal interest, and then I realized that this was really um, interesting and fascinating, and, you know, now I can work with those dancers. I'm a medical advisor to Scottish Ballet, and I'm just starting up a study with dancers, another one. And so, you know, um, I'm really happy that I can combine <laughs> all of my passions and my interests. I am all about that. I am all about that. I would love to see that like a bit more in my mind. Like when in one of your presentations, you talked about how hormones help uh, drive positive adaptations to training and quote unquote, bring DNA to life, which I really appreciated that. What does that, what does that actually look like? Like what, what, what do you mean by that? Like when I go, like I, I swam 300 meters this morning, right? Like what, what does that, what's going on hormonally? I know you talk about it being like a feedback loop too, right? Like with your hormones and what you're doing. Can you give us a little, just a, a nice picture, a paint a picture for the, of what's happening? So the word hormone derives from ancient Greek, meaning setting in motion, right? And that's literally what it does. It sets in motion your DNA. I mean, everyone knows out of DNA, the blueprint for a life, which lives in the nucleus of all of our cells, right? So have you ever thought, there it is, that beautiful double helix. But how do you kind of unlock that? So that DNA is coding for particular types of proteins, right? So how... So you've got done your, what did you say? 800 meter swim? Anyway, you've done 3,000 3, meter. Oh, 3, sorry, I said <laughs> no, no, right, sorry. It was a long sorry. time. 3,000 anyway. uh, meters. Well, anyway, I did swimming yesterday. Oh, actually, no, I went swimming this morning, but I don't think it was as long as that. Anyway, 
So we do our exercise, whatever that might be. And uh, as you say, you know, how does that translate to adapting to that training? And the answer is these hormones that set in motion our DNA. So as a result of doing your exercise, at the time, it will release sort of short range uh, chemicals, right, uh, called exokines, right? And these, in turn, set in motion in the hierarchy of events. Now they will uh, drive particular produ production of particular hormones. All hormones go into the cell nucleus and tell the DNA which protein to express. Yes, but there are some that kind of, especially if you're doing uh, exercise, are more you want more than others. For example, you want a lot of muscle protein, thank you very much, don't you? And the hormone that does that very nicely for you is growth hormone. And the, and the two main stimuli for growth hormone release are exercise and sleep. Uh -huh. so, that, so hormones are the missing link between you do your training, you do your exercise, and we all know instinctively that that should help us to be fitter, better body composition, cardiovascular health, all these things. We know that, right? But I, like I was when I was a youngster, I was wondering exactly that same question. What, how does that translate one to the other? And then I realized it's what you do on the outside, your behaviors, they harness your hormones. They say, hey, growth, growth hormone, please, we, we need more. And the growth hormone brings, uh, sets in motion the path to you becoming fitter. For example, it will go into the DNA. It will bring the DNA to life, particularly that particular location for making muscle protein, for example. And lo and behold, now, yes, you, you get uh, stronger, uh, you know, different comp uh, body composition, leaner, whatever it is. And now this is, this is the feedback loop I'm talking about. Because if we don't do anything, then our hormones will just keep everything status quo, homeostasis. That's we need to have a nice, stable internal environment. But if you challenge that through exercise, for example, then the body instinct it will adapt. And that's what I mean. The adaptations are driven uh, by the hormones. And by the way, uh, slightly diverting from, well, it's not diverting from this conversation, but part of this conversation, uh, of course, I'm not advocating in any way, shape or form that athletes should dope. But just anecdotally, we know that 75% of doping offences are with hormones, because athletes know that hormones drive these positive adaptations. And one of my research projects a couple of years ago, well, several years ago now, was to develop an anti-doping test for growth hormone, because athletes knew very well that growth hormone drives positive adaptation. So they were trying to take a shortcut, which not only, number one, apart from being cheating, is actually dangerous for your health, you see, quite, uh, which is the main reason, by the way, we have these doping rules in place because of the uh, of course, for cheating, but also actually for, uh, you know, bearing in mind, this will have adverse effects on the health of the athlete, you see, because the body knows best how to do it, how to titrate, how much hormone you need. But, you know, if we just inject ourselves with whatever, it, you know, anyway. So that is my evidence uh, for why hormones are so crucially important uh, and dry those positive adaptations to exercise. So absolutely, we want to say thank you to those hormones for setting in motion and bringing to life our DNA. And also, because I've just told you that, you want to now make sure you are getting the most out, most value from your hormones. That's why I use that expression, harnessing your hormones. So do all the things that you can do 
brain smarts, good nutrition, good sleep, all of those things are in everyone's power, right? That's really good to know, isn't it? It's in your power, in your grasp. If you can get a good balance of those things, you can, uh, you know, uh, harness your hormones to drive those positive adaptations. Yeah, I I love that. And and thank you for that really great illustration of that. You know, you mentioned sleep a few times in here and then also in one of the presentations it says like hormones you know spring into action during your sleep and i was thinking i have written about human growth hormone before and sort of like when it pulses during the Mm, night exactly exactly yeah if you could talk a a bit about um about that part of it that human growth hormone because it is like is it because we're repairing at night is that why it's yeah yeah i yes exactly because we're sleeping and so we think, oh, well, we're not doing anything. But that's what I mean by the hormones spring into to life, because they're going to um, take account of everything you've done during the day. And they're going to drive those changes, adaptations. Uh, you know, the hormones, it takes a bit of time for the hormone to go into the nucleus, to tell the protein to be produced, for it to get to the right place. So it takes time. But actually, you can, you know, the time you had, the best time to do this is when the person is asleep. So you can really focus on that job. So that's why there's two main stimuli for growth hormone release are exercise and sleep. So you can't just do the exercise, by the way. (laughs) You have to have your recovery and your sleep. So growth hormone is an example when it pulses at night. But plenty of the other hormones, particularly the female reproductive hormones, for example, LH pulses at night. It's when you and that's when puberty starts, by the way, uh, you know, and your, your periods start because we know from studies and research that that's when you see the LH pulses first wake up when you're luteinizing asleep. Luteinizing hormone. Yeah, exactly. LH, yeah, luteinizing hormone, exactly. So lots of the hormones are are busying themselves when you're asleep because they've kind of got the opportunity, if you see what I mean. And that's the other thing to point out about hormones. They're not just like, it's not an on-off switch. They've got more subtlety in the message. Uh, a nerve impulse is on off literally the on off response is either electrical current or not <laughs> that's it right uh, but the hormones have a whole way of expressing themselves i can put it that way there's of course the level of it, of it how high is it how low is it but also the frequency is it like the pulsatility of it it's like a morse code thing it's it's a, it's a message you see and so there's lots of fine tuning uh, involved in, in that hormone release. And lots of that has the opportunity to happen while you're asleep, which is why it's super uh, asleep. Is this chief nourisher in life's great feast? That's not my quote at Shakespeare, but anyway, it's a good one. <laughs> I like that. The point, right? That is when, I mean, we, we all know instinctively sleep. We all know what it feels like if you hadn't had a good night's sleep. I can tell you one thing, being a junior doctor is really bad for your health, mainly because it disrupts sleep. And if we have disrupted sleep, circadian misalignment, as we call it, that's going to really mess up your hormones because your hormones also have their own clocks. Not only do they have the certain message, but they also have their own clocks. So we have the dionyl variation of cortisol, for example, growth hormone we've already um, described how it's sort of a nocturnal fluctuation, as, as it were. And of course, the female hormones as well. That's the even longer that's sort of clock as you were as it as it were over you know a lunar month roughly anyway so they all have different clocks and they're all they're all internally synchronized and know quite well what we're doing but frankly we can sort of mess it up a bit <laughs> although we can harness the hormones we can also definitely disrupt them 
And one way to disrupt your hormones is, you know, poor sleep or disrupted sleep or, or strange sleep patterns, uh, which is why I truthfully say it's not healthy to be a doctor. <laughs> no, uh, I, because that's it a whole other podcast. Sleep. Like, what are you doing to medical professionals, especially during res- residency? But that is a yeah, whole well, quite. Other. That's what I'm talking about. That's the similar. Well, that's what we yeah. call in England uh, the junior doctor years when crazy. it's like, yeah, exactly, residency crazy. Anyway, that's that's why sleep. I mention sleep a lot uh, because it, it's well, we know it's uh, help important for health, and we know how we feel. You know how important, but also for the hormone health, particularly, it's a really important piece. So I have I have a few questions mm-hmm. linking all this together. Um, it is funny when you said Morse code because in something that I wrote at some point, I described sort of perimenopause as your hormones giving you SOS signals. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a like scrambled that. Morse code. Exactly. Very good point. Yeah. Pretty much where we're at. But um. So do the ovarian, do the reproductive hormones, you know, specific, specifically like estradiol and progesterone, are they interacting with growth hormone at all? Is there, is there a interplay there? Um, yes. I mean, all of them, although we can think of these hormones as different sort of families, different members of the orchestra. Um, so actually how I describe the hormones is uh, the pituitary gland, which is located in the brain, uh, that is the conductor of the endocrine orchestra and it is an orchestra so i don't know we could call all the string section we could call that the reproductive axis for example uh we could call the brass section what we're going to call that um the thyroid axis you know what i mean they've all got their separate parts but the whole thing comes together as a symphony doesn't it you see and so there are definitely are that's why i describe them as hormone networks uh, so there are particular families like this, but they definitely have, uh, you know, they're talking to each other as well. So, for example, and also because they're all controlled by the same place in the brain. Good place to have your control system, by the way, located right in the brain. One level even above the pituitary gland, the top boss is the called the hypothalamus. What a great place to put the hypothalamus right there where your optic nerves cross over, right up there. So it's going to keep a watching brief on what's happening inside your body, your internal networks, uh, interactions, homeostasis, but also it's going to see what's going on outside. Not only in terms of outside, in terms of terms of environment. I mean, it's actually quite warm here today for once in, in London, but also, you know, it's going to keep an eye on external stuff like other stressors, exercise, things like this. So this is literally right in the center, keeping a watching brief on everything. And it's therefore going to direct the separate members of the orchestra and they all come together. You're right, there is some interaction. For example, I would say a good uh, example of a hormone, uh, cortisol is a bit of a tricksy one. Um, cortisol, everyone probably knows that hormone um, uh, which, is respon- which is released in response to stressors. So stress of any sort. So exercise, lack of sleep, lack of food, you know, anything. But the brain, but the hypothalamus is brilliant, but it doesn't, it's not that clever. It doesn't distinguish what the stress is, by the way. But it just knows it's, there's a bit of stress around. So quite sensibly, it it instructs more release of cortisol. And cortisol prioritizes, it's kind of fight and flight sort of thing. It backs up adrenaline effectively. And so you don't want to be worrying about other stuff like 
you know, the reproductive axis and whatever. So the cortisol does a it does a two jobs. It you know keeps you on high alert, but also it can uh, downregulate the other ones, the other members of the orchestra, because actually they're less of a priority right now. You see, so that's an example of, of an interaction between uh, hormones, hormone families, should I say? So what is happening in the hypothalamus during the menopause transition when we start entering perimenopause that is causing this desynchronization maybe of our orchestra? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to be absolutely clear about and, and emphasize is that the menopause is not an illness and it's not a disease. A hundred percent. That is not, right. that is so not my language. That, no, we're just, no, no, but we'll just make that clear. Um, just to, you know, really, uh, that it's, you know, it's the hormone, it's the female hormone odyssey, as I call it, the journey that you go through. You go through uh, your period starting, you go through your reproductive years, the menstrual cycles, maybe take a little diversion to pregnancy or whatever, or maybe your periods stop when they shouldn't. We don't. Anyway, there's that bit. And then we come to the graduation to menopause. The ovaries have hopefully been working, you know, pretty hard. So, we give them retirement, right? So it's when the hormones, when the ovaries retire, but it's not a smooth retirement. Again, it's not the on-off switch. It's not like, okay, regular cycles and then, you know, that's it, retired. It's this in-between bit, the perimenopause, which is really tricky. And as you say, this desynchronization uh, of the hormones. I mean, why does that happen? It's probably because the eggs, which are all prepared when we're in our mother's uterus, all the eggs are prepared then. They literally reach their sell-by date. So we're not sure exactly where the clock is, probably, I think, in the ovaries themselves, in the eggs themselves. Say, look, actually, you know, this is the time, thanks. We've uh, reached our sell-by date. We want to retire, you know. And so that will, uh, in terms of the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus is like, hmm, that's annoying. (laughs) <laughs> the ovaries aren't doing what we're telling them to do. Hmm. Hmm. They're not, uh, you know, producing that beautiful fluctuation, the choreography of the hormones of the menstrual cycle. What's up there? Um, and so actually that's why the pituitary gland is instructed to start increasing the level of FSH and LH. And we know when you reach, if you do the blood test on a woman who has reached menopause, you will see her FSH and LH are very high, follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, like we said. They're very high, and the estradiol and progesterone are actually very low. So actually, what you're saying, what has the hypothalamus got to do with that? Well, actually, it's kind of a bit annoyed. <laughs> or, you know, in, in that sense, that's why the, it tells the conductor, the pituitary gland, to increase in the hopes it can revive the ovaries but ultimately it when push comes to shove it sort of gets stuck there and it's like okay but that's why um you know there's this dramatic change in the profile of our hormones and also it's that transition bit which in my opinion is actually the more tricky bit because when your periods are stopped and that's it and it's that's fixed then at least you know what you're dealing with but it's that in between bit the perimenopause it's like i say vivaldi in the four seasons with the hormones sometimes they work sometimes they don't it's like oh you know it can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to circle the other mm. part, the other, uh, I don't know what, 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 what instrument they're playing here in the orchestra, but, <laughs> you know, bringing human growth hormone back into this. What I'm, what I'm interested in is because we know, 
like in everybody, it declines over mm. time, right? With age, human human growth hormone does. Mm-hmm. Um, is is menopause impacting that at all? Um, and I imagine if I am disrupting in my sleep, that is because of what's going on. That might have a knockoff effect on. Yeah, an additional fact. That very good point. I mean, growth hormone declines full stop with age, and we know this because in men as well. You know, so men and women, we know. And by the way, just to re-emphasize, growth hormone isn't, I think we've made that clear, not just about children growing, obviously, right? But it's of a maintaining good body composition. And we know, uh, you know, there's a medical condition, well, normally induced by a neurosurgeon, actually, um, who goes poking around in the pituitary gland. You know, if there's a problem there and they have to remove some of it, sometimes they remove, well, it's difficult to be fair, operating on the pea-sized pituitary gland. Anyway. If you take away quite a lot of that, then the growth hormone obviously is going to go very low. And we know in those people uh, who have growth hormone deficiency, also there's a medical condition where you don't produce enough, we know that they they're uh, they don't have much muscle, you see, so we know it affects uh, body composition. But anyway, coming back to your question, so we know age in general, men and women, the, you know, everything is sort of twilight years, just winding down a little bit. And so growth hormone definitely will decrease. But you're absolutely right, and you make a very important point there that, you know, we know that menopause and all these uh, Vivaldi in the four seasons with the female hormones, it disrupts sleep, temperature regulation goes up the spout, all this sort of thing. So, and you're quite right, we've said that sleep is super important for growth hormone. So it is compounded secondary to uh, the consequences of, of menopause. So, yeah, it's a kind of a double whammy, I'm afraid. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in a lot of the, um, you know, I've, I've read some of your writings, and again, listen to you. And I really appreciate that you talk about strength training and exercise and all of that as a way. And, you know, we started this conversation as in that sort of feedback loop mechanism, right? Um, I've always understood that strength training and like more high intensity training can help with some of this human growth hormone and help with some of this hormonal journey. Um, is can you speak a little bit about how we can help, you know, as, as yeah, yeah, we're yeah, sure. in that place? Yeah. Mm. So uh, men and women again, so masters athletes, in other words, uh, or, or masters exercises, you don't have to be competing or, or whatever, but um, because of that decline in growth hormone may be compounded by menopause. And also, um, you know, the female hormones are also important, estrogen especially. Uh, for, by the way, muscle quality, soft tissue quality, all that sort of thing. So you're also potentially more prone to injury. But it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, you know, you can do your best. The system will still respond like it was programmed to. It will still adapt and respond to exercise. But you might as well really target the exercise that is particularly helpful for uh, body composition and, you know, uh muscle production, uh, as it were. In other words, those types of exercise like you've just outlined, it's particularly the, the strength training. The, the thing about the strength training, why it's particularly recommended is because of the growth hormone effect. You know, even though it's a lower level, it will still respond to a certain extent. It will try its best and that will help. Uh, but also the metabolic effect of doing strength training mm. because it, um, uh, you know, as we get older in general, and especially as we reach the menopause, we know that the, the decline in the female hormones, along with the growth hormone, will affect, um, you know, our metabolism. And we're more likely to become insulin resistant, et cetera, et cetera. So we know that doing strength training, not only does it have a really good effect on your 
and metabolism at the time of doing the exercise because you're engaging lots of muscles, big muscle groups, all at once, but also afterwards, even after you stopped, then, you know, because of the repair process building up the muscles, you're still actually, you know, it increases the metabolic rate to a certain extent. So that's why it's the extra effect, not only on the body composition, but actually on metabolic health. And there have been some good studies recently out, specifically in menopausal women, showing the benefits of strength training on metabolic, cardiometabolic health, also, of course, bone density. The best way of, uh, and again, you know, uh, estradiol is queen when it comes to bone uh, mineral density, bone health. And so we all know that as you reach the menopause, then, you know, the bones can, uh, yeah, uh, be lacking well obviously and sad <laughs> that the estrogen is low so to maintain bone health as well um, this is why strength training has that extra benefit you see and although running everyone thinks oh running is good for bone health well of course I'm not going to say it's bad for your health bone health but it tends to be all be in one plane whereas the the strength training will load the all parts of the skeleton and in different ways right so that's why so strength training is definitely top of the list. Hit training, you have to be a little bit careful because that will uh, invoke the a big release in cortisol, you see. And we've also said cortisol, you have to be a little, you know, you want some cortisol in the system, obviously, to give you the oomph for the get up and go. But again, when it tips over, flicks over into too much. So I'm not saying no hit training, but just, you know, if, you, if you're starting from a clean sheet, what, what are you going to put? What you're going to do as top number one is strength training. Mm -hmm. Number two, well, by the way, number two is probably something you really enjoy, <laughs> uh, right? So for me, that's my dancing or whatever. So oh the, yeah, right. Whatever. You know, so that, that, by the yeah. way, that also is something you enjoy if you, you know. Um, and then yeah, sure, of course, cardiovascular and maybe some hit, but that's sort of in moderation mm -hmm. and uh, interspersed with the strength training. And as we get a little bit older. And certainly going through menopause, then you will need more recovery. Simple as that. That's that's the way it goes. So it's really the quality of any exercise you do, not the quantity. And let's be realistic. You can't train like you are were when you were 21. Okay. So you have to change. As your hormones change, you change what you do. You're giving, you know, so that sort of makes logical sense and you're not being weak and feeble if you need an extra rest day or you want an easy day that that's fine if, if you if your body needs that you need it a hundred percent and the, and this audience as as you know i mean you've written for training peaks it's a very sort of similar audience we have we have a lot of strength athletes too who are maybe in the crossfit sort of you know team over there um but supporting that as well with nutrition, right, before we leave this is really in, important. Um, you know, you mentioned just very specifically in the nutrition piece, like protein, for sure. And vitamin mm. D is a mm. steroid hormone, correct? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely. And that, so that, that's a real easy win. So the protein, yes. Um, hopefully everyone's ticking off their protein requirements. And, you know, because it's a complex molecule, you can't eat it all, obviously, in one sitting. So you spread it out. And also having pre-sleep protein, been good studies in Masters Athletes showing, because when you're asleep, actually, that's definitely when you need the protein on hand because to as building blocks to make the muscles because of the growth hormone, right? So so especially casein is a particularly type of protein at, uh, to take at bed, which is sort of fast-tracked, as it were, to the muscles, right? So might as well make it easy. Uh, and very good studies to show that actually 
if you take some protein on board before you go to sleep, that helps. Uh, and so that so protein requirements definitely also the timing of, of the protein super important to prevent muscle mitigate against the potential loss of muscle or uh, the extreme example of that is sarcopenia very weak muscles so protein for sure but also vitamin d is an easy win and you're right i'm claiming it for a steroid hormone well it, <laughs> it is because it is if you look at the structure of it it's like a steroid one, like this necklace here I'm wearing. I don't know if you can see that. That's actually estradiol. That's a steroid hormone. It's got little, you see, it's got little steroid rings. Anyway, so, um, but vitamin D is unusual because normally you think vitamins, you think, oh, well, that comes through the diet. But you can only get a certain amount through the diet, even if you eat dairy produce and oily fish, you know, throughout the day you still will struggle to reach your requirements because the main source of vitamin D unusually is actually the sun, the action of sunlight on our skin. And, you know, uh, unless you live uh, in the Sahara, <laughs> uh, then probably, you know, you're not going to be able to get enough sunlight on the skin. And certainly here in the UK, Public Health England recommend we all take vitamin D at the very least during uh, the winter months. Um, personally, I actually take it all year round. Unless uh, I'm going on a holiday to a sunny place. We went windsurfing in Italy a couple of weeks ago. So I didn't pack my vitamin D then. I have to, you know, but generally I think keeping that level at a good level and vitamin D is so important. Steroid hormone, important for bone health, right? Uh, important for muscle recovery. Interesting. Good studies showing better recovery from eccentric muscle loading if you have vitamin D. Interesting. And fewer injuries, study and dancers, fewer injuries. Uh, and also very important for immune health, topical, uh, and general overall well-being. We know people with low vitamin D levels, not only are you going to be more at risk of stress fractures, etc. actually you're probably going to be feeling a bit down, you know, like low mood and low, just like not, not great. So vitamin D, definitely an easy win. Excellent. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hebas. 
Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Let's talk um, menopause hormone therapy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which I know you, you've, you've written about and, I, and you work with many active athletic people. Do women come to you specifically for help staying on top of their training, you know, while they're navigating perimenopause and menopause? And then is that track usually hormone therapy for you? Um, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, I see athletes for, and, and exercises dance for various reasons, you know, um, reds or relative energy deficiency in sport is certainly a big thing I see, but mm. also, um, the masters athletes in that age group, men and women, by the way, but women, of course, especially because the hormones get really complicated then. And actually the most challenging thing, which I love, by the way, did I mention the other reason I love hormones? Cause they're really complicated. I love it. <laughs> uh, I love the detective work. You have to really unravel it. So for example, a woman who is 44, she presents saying, my cycles are becoming irregular, shorter, and I'm just not feeling great. Maybe I've got a niggly injury, you know, that sort of thing. And so the question is, is that uh, teetering on relative energy efficiency in sport or low energy availability, or is that perimenopause? Hmm, tricky, but interesting. So obviously there will be some major clues. We go through her training load, her nutrition, and obviously there's if she says she's doing the dreaded <laughs> fasted training, oh no, right? Female <laughs> hormones love complex carbohydrates. Anyway, if it's that and we've done whole shows on that. No, 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 <laughs> you know, So if it's if she explains that, then it's like, oh, this is leading more to the reds thing. But on the other hand, if actually she hasn't changed from that that and and actually her age and her other symptoms maybe she's getting a little bit of the temperature regulation hot flushes and other things and it's going to tip you more in that way but ultimately doing a blood test will be really helpful so we can pick out uh so you're saying to me why would a uh you know a master's athlete come and see me so the first thing is do i need to unpick that do i need to really clarify and sometimes i have found it that actually it is low energy availability and on the blood test, the T3, particularly the thyroid hormone is low, for example. So I might get some clues from that. Okay. Right. But let's say we've excluded that. Mm-hmm. And actually this looks, it all the picture is saying perimenopause. So it's like, okay, what do we do now? So of course, the first thing is we go through the training load of nutrition to make sure we've ticked off what we've just discussed. Strength training. I think lots of athletes 
especially masters athletes, maybe they weren't in the generation. Uh, certainly, I'm not uh, of strength training. Like they used to son. discourage it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, because for example, my younger sons, my younger sons, I've only got sons. Anyway, <laughs> both of them, my sons, uh, you know, they were brought up with right. You must do your strength training a lot. So, first of all, simple things. Let's just check out the training load, strength training, tick, whatever. Right, more recovery, tick, protein, tick, vitamin D, tick. You know, all these things are as much as they everything is optimized there from lifestyle athlete behaviors whatever you want to call it then we have the hrt discussion um you've done all of that everything you've done everything you can but you're still not feeling great then for sure we will discuss hrt and and immediately dispel myths and other things um so yes there is an increased slight increased risk in breast cancer the tune of an extra four cases per 1,000 women aged 50 to 59. By the way, this is exactly the same risk of as if you take the oral contraceptive pill. Yet no, no one tells us about that. So it's no more riskier than taking the oral contraceptive pill, by the way. Or if you drink wine. <laughs> and Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. And compared to a whopping increase extra 24 cases, if you aren't doing exercise of any sort and you were overweight smoking drinking blah 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 right and also the other thing is if you're doing two and a half hours of regular exercise or more per week that decreases the number of cases by seven so if you do your math you're still better off Mm -hmm. Uh, so certainly when you say would i encourage it i would have this conversation to put into perspective the risk benefits and ultimately if there are no the only absolute contraindication for not taking HRT is if you have a personal history of breast cancer. Mm. And I have a, a friend, my a dear friend in my ballet class, who unfortunately did go through that and she can't take HRT and she's really like, oh no. Anyway, so, uh, but otherwise, if we've clarified all of that, my opinion is you've got nothing to lose. We try. Let's try the lowest dose. That's always important. We've had a little bit of a debacle here in England. Oh boy. Uh, somebody <laughs> who's been doling out very high doses of HRT. Anyway, it's common sense. It's common sense and it's basic medical practice. You start off with the lowest dose, you titrate. So we would start off very low dose. Let's see how you go. If you're still having some sort of cycles, we'll try and sync it with your cycle. Um, and actually, the other thing that's changed is that the sooner you start it in one way, the better. It used to be that you'd wait until you reach menopause, which by definition is 12 months of no period. So it's like you have to suffer and go through hell for 12 months to qualify for having HRT. But anyway, thankfully, that's now changed. Actually starting it, I think when you're noticing symptoms and cycles, it's actually better because then you could smooth into that uh, and won't have so much of a jolt and change in the hormones. So, you know, starting it then and starting a very low dose and seeing how we go. And then I say to the woman, give it a chance. I get some emails, oh, you know, a few days later, it hasn't made any difference. Listen, it won't. <laughs> you have to give it at least three months for it to, to make a fair assessment. Has this helped or have you still got symptoms? And then, of course, we would talk about just tweaking the dose and, and uh, increasing it gradually, gradually. Um, and seeing if we can get it right, personalizing it is all about personalization of the HRT. And the other myth, just to dispel while we're on this whole topic so we can clear up everything, is that there used to be the thing like, oh, how long did you take it for? Um, it used to be said that it was five years and then that's it, you stop. 
But again, that's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. So you just delay feeling really bad for five years. So, you know, it, uh, I mean, I got this feeling, which I joke, well, I say, oh, jokingly, I say this, but I actually am committed to it. I've got this feeling they're going to have to prize HRT, HRT out of my hand. Because if you're feeling good on it, and, you know, you feel you got the dose right, and there's no problems, then actually, you know, why would you stop? But it's an individual choice. Again, I'm not forcing anyone to, number one, take it, or you have to stay on it forever. It's entirely up to the individual choice, but to know that it is a choice, and it should be an informed choice. So I provide trying, you know, give all the information, all the questions. So the person is absolutely understanding why and everything like this, and then, and then leave it to them to decide. Is that dialing in process any different for active women? You know, I had on um, a, a doctor in the States who's, who mm-hmm. loves dialing in hormone therapy too. She sort of geeks out similarly, but you know, she, you know, she was clear, like, especially when you're dealing with a woman who has an intact uterus and you have to add the progesterone and there's a bit more of a dance to it. Um, is that is that dialing in any different when you're talking about someone who's doing Ironman training or CrossFit or doesn't not that matter? Um, well, in general terms, I'm going to say no. But but on the other hand, of course, that person that is got, you know, very in tune with their body already. Hmm. And it makes it easier because they know what they want to feel like, you know what I mean? And they will notice a slight difference in something. Again, it's not the elixir of youth. You won't take, just to be clear, you won't take HRT and then suddenly now you win Kona, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but I guess the show is done. I'm sorry. But in that sense, um, it's important, you know, the, the, actually the woman will be more in tune with her body and knows how she would like to feel like or, or, or close to where she wants to be. Uh, so in that sense, it's better. But in terms of the, you know, the best type of HRT, it's, it's obviously the same for everybody. And and also in terms of the dose also, uh, you know, um, it is the same principle. We start low, we gradually titrate upwards and see where we go. The only thing for um, a woman that's competing uh, is that, rightly or wrongly, uh hrt is fine but testosterone remains on the banned list for any reason even and i've had this whole thing (laughs) with the masters um athlete very good high level and we've had this whole uh you know discussion it's like look if we monitor the levels and we prove that we're just bringing testosterone up within the the range for a woman just restoring it replacing it to the level but still as I say, uh, it, it, the answer is no. Uh, so just to warn people, women, if you are competing, I'm afraid that's a no-no. Okay. And you can't get a TUE for that, right? You can't get Precisely. a Precisely. No, exactly. Which is, yeah, but there we go. Um, yeah, that's, uh, anyway, I've had dealings with the IOC before with the growth hormone anti-doping thing. And it's like, I'm leaving that to other people, um, because it's too much to take on, but that's where we are at the minute, as I say, yeah. um, whether that's right or wrong, uh, you know, uh, that's the way it is at the moment. And no, you can't get it to you. You're right. We've tried that. <laughs> are the, are the forms, um, any different? I mean, I know we have a, if you go into our forums at any time, you'll hear women saying like, where do you put this patch? How do you keep this patch? Oh. You know, like, are there, 
for when you're talking about an active woman? Are there certain formulations? I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can take it, right? That you find so, are best? The, the top, the one that's recommended as the best for the estrogen component, by the way, just to go back on your point, if you've got a uterus, i.e. you haven't had a hysterectomy, you must absolutely take estrogen and progesterone together. You mustn't take estrogen by itself because then that makes the uterus lining too thick and a bit dangerous. So you must take both. In terms of the estrogen component, the best form is through the skin. So that's either a patch or a gel. The rationale being, if you take a tablet, it has to go through the digestive uh, system, through the liver, etc. So through the skin, patch or gel. Again, personal preference. I've literally personally, and also athletes I work with, um, prefer tend to prefer the gel. Because, number one, it's unobtrusive. I go swimming a lot also. And uh, I mean, I've already got two scars on my legs from my hip replacements. It's like, do you know what? I don't want a patch as well. It's just like, I really look like it. Anyway, um, so, you know, that's one thing. But also the other thing is it's discreet, but also there's more flexibility and more possibility to titrate the dose. The patch, in general terms, the, most of the patches, you just change twice a week and you just slap it on and that's it. You're done and dusted. Whereas the gel, you put it on each day. So there is even the potential to, you know, slightly vary the dose, even, you know, just you don't have to have a set level. That's it. Right. Um, and if we want to go into even finer detail of the gel, you can either get it in a dispenser pump or you can get it in like teeny little mini, mini energy gels. And I, that's the one I prefer, because if I am going abroad, I don't want to be carting through this stupid estrogen pump through the liquid section. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, again. Too much. I already get bleep with my hip replacements. It's like, you know what? <laughs> just leave me alone. Just let me get through. So you just put the gel things in the suitcase and you're done and dusted. Uh, but also, again, seriously, the gels of uh, you can get 0.5 of a milligram, really small, one milligram, two milligrams, where as the pump is just a dispense dose, depends on the brand, but generally speaking, 1.25 or something, one, you know, that's it. That's your dose. And don't try and do half a pump. It just gets so if we're that's my my preference and that's when i explain that to athletes most of them say actually yeah that sounds like a good idea so that's the estrogen bit for the progesterone bit again various options you can have the combined patch you can have the marina coil that's licensed for use uh, for endometrial protection lots of things but the top one recommended is what's called micronized progesterone because it's the same molecule identical molecular structure to the progesterone you produce yourself so again instinctively again personal i was attracted to that it's like yeah i want to give my body what it's used to seeing so that seemed to make logical sense to me uh, and that isn't well absorbed through the skin so that is a soft capsule that you take again there's options you can either take it in blocks to sort of uh, replicate your menstrual cycle which is what I started taking. So in the luteal phases, you know, the progesterone tends to go high. So you would take 12-day blocks of the progesterone like that. Or uh, that's what I opted to do at first. But my friend, interestingly, we went on to HRT at the same time. She was like, no, nah, I've had enough with all this bleeding luck. Don't want that. She just takes progesterone continuously every day. Um, in the evening, the advantage of micronized progesterone it's a, got a mild sedative effect. So if you're taking it in the evening, it helps with sleep. It's like, yay, great. And actually, new research suggests that it's actually, uh, although there's a very low risk of breast cancer, that risk, we it's thought, is actually uh, in the progesterone part you take of, of the HRT. And again, 
this micronized progesterone I'm talking about has got the 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 best profile in that sense, you see. Um, and the brand name here in the UK, it's uh, Eutrogestan. Uh, I think, what's the other one? Uh, there's another brand of it, which in the name escapes me in other countries, but certainly that's something that, again, ultimately it's your choice. You know, um, it, it might be that if you've already got the marina coil in place, for example, or you just think, well, actually, just for convenience, I want that. That's entirely your choice. But it's so you make the right choice for you and you know all the facts and the figures and and, and you figure out what's what's going to suit you best. What's the form on the coil? What's the form on the marina? Of the uh, that's uh, norethisterone. Okay. So it's a slightly androgenic progesterone, which you could argue. If you're not allowed to take testosterone, maybe that's the advantage of it there. But I just didn't, again, but then if you're, you know, I know my molecules and it's like, oh, I don't want to have that that one. So it, it depends. It really depends what you're, but so long as you're making that choice. I made that, that's what I weighed up. I mean, number one, I've never had a coil in. So kind of that also was like a thing right. for me anyway. It's like, actually, I, you know, um, and also norethisterone versus micronized progesterone. It's like, no, nah, I prefer that one, you see. And also, again, that feeling of control, because you put the marina coil in and that's it. You leave it there for three or five years or whatever it is, depending, you know. But whereas, again, I, I prefer, and again, this is personal, I prefer being in control and I've got it in my hands and I, you know, know what I'm doing sort of thing. But it really depends. On the other hand, some people like that they don't have to think about that every day. I mean, I don't think about it every day. I just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I get it. So you, you know what I mean? It, again, this is personal choice and personal preference. I have loved every bit of this conversation, I have to say. Um, you know, I, I, I expressed to you, you know, in some of my questions before we started, like, I have to be honest, like, sometimes I have these conversations and, it, and, I'm, and I love them and I'm interested in them. But there's this drumbeat in the background right now that all women should be on HRT. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, I spend a lot of time in this world and I sort of hear these messages and like, I personally am not on it and I feel, mm. I feel great. So like, I feel great. I'm sleeping great. Everything is great. So there's part of me like, would I feel even super, super duper great if I was, you know, like, should I, what, am I missing something? And it, it, it just sort of gets in my head a little bit, but I don't, I also don't like to rock boats that are steady. So, you know, it's been a really, no, I, listen, I think that's a really important point. We want we, we should stress. Uh, um, because lots of people say, oh, that Dr. Nikki, she's very pro-HRT. Well, I just give the facts. You know, this is, you know, and most of the people that come and see me, it's because they are struggling, you see. But I agree with you. There is also this thing that you almost feel like, oh, well, everyone, should should I get on this bandwagon and all this sort of thing? Uh, so, you know, um, no, it's entirely your choice. And you've just described that you feel perfectly fine. Thank you very much. You know, all the information there. And, you know, um, it's ultimately your choice. And if you feel fine and you're doing everything and, and plus, if you are doing all those lifestyle things, those are actually the, the priority ones. So you don't, some people just think they can take a shortcut and just, just keep doing, you know, not such great, let's be honest, lifestyle. And just take the HRT as a shortcut almost. Again, that's not ideal either. So it's entirely your choice, but definitely it's one that you want to make that choice being really super informed on, on knowing what the, what the options are, what the pros and the cons are, and 
you know, um, there are some women, you know, like I said, who can't take HRT because of breast cancer, like my friend I mentioned, or who is very rare, but sometimes I had a, a lovely lady the other day, cyclist, who was really struggling. And, and actually it just didn't, she seems to have a reaction to soy products, which is what's these some of these uh, HRTs are, are derived from, you see, the body identical ones. So, you know what I mean? It's it's not for everybody, but it's certainly an option there. But we want, it's, it's finding that fine balance. You see, the, there was a time when the paper, a paper came out and was scaring all women, and that was based on incorrect information. And now it's almost gone the other way. But so you have to sort of just make the decision right for you. But I always say, um, you know, knowledge is power. Get the information, listen to what we've been talking about, uh, read my book and, and, you know, and know all the facts so you can make the decision that's right for you. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent about that. And just taking your because the hormones are the orchestra, but it's part of a larger orchestra. Correct. Yeah, I yeah, mean... exactly. The interaction with what you're doing uh, on the outside, which is definitely always the priority, by the way, you know, always the priority. And the hormones are, uh, in terms of HRT, um, certainly, are the the extra bits that you could uh, uh, are available if if you wish to to uh, you know keep that orchestra going really well or, or whatever or maybe it's fine as it is. And there are some people, uh, women like that. So it's really up to you. But it's just making sure you. Do, I, what I don't want to happen is that women, you know, say, "Oh, I didn't realize," right? Uh, and they're now later on and thinking oh I suffered I went struggled with all this I was feeling awful and everything if only I known the facts I would have made a different decision so that's really the the thing we want to avoid obviously yeah and I 100 percent agree with that I'm like there's no trophy for suffering through anything like there's no and when you dig into the literature and see these these connections that they're making between severe symptoms and cardiovascular disease and other things. I mean, there seems to be, you know, yeah. there are there are links being connected there that uh, they're still teasing it out and research is ongoing. But I would I would very much encourage somebody with severe symptoms to investigate it because of those links. I mean, there might be you might be more predisposed to. Oh yes, definitely. Well, we than, know that the. Um you know, osteoporosis is the silent killer. Well, for sure that, yeah. I mean, so, and actually now it's changed that HRT actually is, thank goodness, the primary yeah. treatment for poor bone health. It used to be this disgusting, really horrible bisphosphonates, which made you sick and blah, blah, anyway, whatever. So yes, it's the most important thing for considering HRT is your quality of life. If you are getting severe symptoms, but also you have half an eye on the future as well. Uh, and for example, uh, in my situation, I, you know, I've got, unfortunately, not a great family history of osteoporosis. And also in the past, I did, yes, I did have pretty bad reds. Uh, and anyway, so I know my bones are not in a good situation. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that was also slightly on my mind about the bone health in the future. Um, and also, we know that women, as you go past menopause and beyond, estrogen is an amazing hormone not only for bone health, but actually cardiovascular health. So we know that there is an increased risk in cardiovascular disease as uh, the further we get away from the menopause. And initially, I have just went to a conference recently, and, you know, so it makes logical sense that HRT would help with cardiovascular disease, although the jury's slightly out on that. But again, it's, it's weighing up all these things. 
So it's, it's definitely number you one can on measure. Symptoms. I mean, a lot yeah. of these are measurable. You can well, measure that's a very good point. You can get a DEXA. You can get a DEXA scan, very yeah. low radiation dose, and you can see where you are, and you'll know already. Uh, you know, family history of cardiovascular disease, and you know, you could uh, could potentially do a blood test if you want and see what your cholesterol profile is looking like and your inflammatory markers. So that's a very good point. You can always sort of quantify this for yourself so you know i mean i know yeah my dexa doesn't look isn't pretty but it's even not pretty at all now because they can only do the lumbar spine they can't do this because it's got metal in anyway oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway you know what i mean so that's actually quite an easy uh thing to do and also just to flip back a little bit i know it's slightly out of sync but you know for the younger women we know now hopefully we've put that one to bed as well but if you have got reds and you're amenorrheic and you've got poor bone health, um, it's not the pill. Not the pill, not bone protective. It is HRT temporarily. And so, um, you know, HRT, of course, we're talking mainly about uh, perimenopause, menopause, but also just a little, just to mention uh, that it can be used, well, it is should be used if the, a woman with reds, you're concerned about her bone health. Um, of course, the priority is trying to get our own peers uh, restarted, rebooted. But if that's going to prove tricky, there's psychological barriers and behavior changes to overcome. And, you know, the bone health is not looking good either from DEXA and or stress fractures, then actually as a temporizing measure, um, you know, HRT can be helpful in, in that situation as well. Yeah, excellent, excellent points. We've done entire shows on mm. low energy availability and and reds and relative energy and it and it can be devastating so i mean it is very very important to mm-hmm. to to bring that point up so thank you for that um thank you i mean for everything is there anything that we haven't talked about that you thought that this audience could benefit from about any of this whether it's our chorus of hormones or what we should be thinking about going through this time of life as active women i think the main thing is that you know people sort of you can get annoyed with your hormones and people, this word, I really dislike hormone imbalance. I understand what people are trying to say, but actually we shouldn't blame our hormones, by the way. Our hormones are, you know, millions of years of evolution. They pretty, do a pretty good job, right? If you treat them nicely. So that's also a positive message to end on. I think that you can harness your hormones through those behaviors that we discussed of the exercise, the nutrition and the sleep. So hopefully that's given people a really positive message that you can absolutely open to everybody, really get those nails for you individually, whatever your age is appropriate for you. And that will really help you on your hormone journey and be aware there are other things that can help, you know, uh, like HRT and whatever along the way, but you can definitely do a lot yourself to take control of the situation uh, by harnessing our own hormones uh, through through those means. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with Sandra Buchert, owner, founder, and trainer at One on One Fitness. Sandra started bodybuilding when she was just 16. Now, 40 years later, she's still in the strength and fitness game, but she's made a few changes. We talk all about that next week, so come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, 
a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.